0: Every now and then in life, something happens that creates a lasting memory for us. There are historic events that we all remember. We remember where we were, what we were doing when we heard or participated in those events. At this moment in time, the events of the coronation seem to be gathering pace. I'm guessing as I look around the room that there are some people in the room that can actually remember the 2nd of June, 1953 and where they were on the Queen Elizabeth II's coronation day. I'm quite sure some of you will remember where you were on 20th of July 1969, as the first moon landings took place. I wonder if any of you were in Rotterdam on the 6th of May 1982, when Aston Villa beat Bayern Munich 1-0 to win the European Cup. I'm really sorry, Blues fans. I couldn't find anything you'd actually won to actually mention you. (laughs) Perhaps you remember the 9th of November 1989 when the Berlin Wall fell. Or perhaps you can place yourself on the 11th of February 1990, that Sunday afternoon when Mandela was released. Perhaps you were there... On the 7th of August, 2005, at Edgbaston, as England beat Australia by two runs. You shouldn't have been. It was a Sunday morning, so you should have been at the army. (laughs) Or perhaps you can remember the day after the Brexit referendum on the 24th of June and place yourself exactly where you were that day. These are flashbulb memories. They're events that are so powerful, so impactful that they create a flashbulb in your mind, fixing a mental image like a photograph, and that you forever associate that day with that event. We all have our own individual personal flashbulb memories as well, things that have happened in life where we create a memory And I think that was certainly the case for Peter, John and James as they accompanied Jesus onto the mountain to pray that day. Jesus was being very deliberate in what he did. He took the disciples away, three of them. It was a useful reminder of the need for all of us to take time to be away with God. And at first they're very sleepy. And as the three of them and their companions began to drift into slumber, Jesus himself started to pray. And as he humbles himself there on the mountainside, he was exalted. Verse 29 of the text reminds us, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flashing, as a flash of lightning. So what we're describing here, what Um, is being described to us is that Jesus' face seemed to change. His clothes actually seemed to dazzle. He was covered with a brightness. He was shining in glory. Well, glory, if you look into the Old Testament, was represented by the Hebrew word kabod or kavod, and it actually means weight or worth or value of something. And so, therefore, the glory of God was his worthiness, the worthiness of God. It was an exhibition of the divine and perfect attributes of God. In the Old Testament, the glory was often referred to the creative brightness that God surrounded himself whenever he revealed himself to people. For example, when Moses went up Mount Sinai in Exodus 24, we read these words. When Moses went up the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory... Of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. That brightness was there as God revealed Himself. Same happened for Elijah. When Elijah went up Horeb, these words were read in 1 Kings. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before God. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard, he, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. The glory was there. So the glory of God was shining forth. In the New Testament, we don't use this word that was used in the Old Testament. We use another word or another word that is used, doxa. And in the New Testament, The word used to describe the revelation and the character of the presence of God as revealed in Jesus. That was the glory. In Jesus, divine glory shone. That was doxa. It showed Jesus' worthiness. So we're still getting this connection to this worthiness. It showed the reality of who he really was. And that was what was happening here. Up to this moment, Jesus looked like any other man during his years on earth. He had none of the brilliance that was associated with God that we just read about in the Old Testament. Yet here on the mountain, here in Luke chapter 9, Jesus, whilst he was praying, something quite unique happened. His face changed, his clothes dazzled, he was covered in brightness. And significantly, two men appeared. Long since dead, they appeared beside him, Moses and Elijah. One brought the law of God to the people. The other was a great prophet of God. Yet uniquely, both of them were people who themselves had conversed with God. And now we find them on the mountainside doing exactly the same with Jesus. Jesus this was another pointer to Jesus's divinity and their presence would have been a great encouragement to Jesus in the days leading up to the cross Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter five don't think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them it's quite a scene isn't it what a flashbulb moment as Jesus prays Moses, the representative of the law, and Elijah, the representative of the prophets, appear as silent witnesses before those three disciples that were with Jesus, hear the voice of God themselves, very clear, saying this, this is my son whom I have chosen, listen to him. They get a glimpse of glory. Glory. You know, Jesus took the three disciples on the mountainside to pray with him, yet more than that, to show them who he really was. And what happened? They were in danger of missing the tremendous sight because they were falling asleep. In his glory, they were asleep. And then later on in his agony in Gethsemane, they'd be asleep as well. They liked sleeping. Can you imagine what they must have felt like as they sort of like came round, rubbed the sleep from their eyes? They'd never seen anything like this. Yes, they'd had occasional glimpses of the the, the fact that Jesus was special before. Remember in John chapter 2, the wedding at Canaan? Jesus converted all these urns of water into wine. And this is what John observes at the end of that in chapter 2. He says, this, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and the disciples put their faith in him. So yes, they'd seen miracles, but they'd not seen this dazzling brightness. They'd not seen attributes of God from the Old Testament assigned to Jesus. Nothing like this. And such was the immensity of the experience that Peter, James, and John did something strange. They said, shall we put up a shelter? I mean, how bizarre is that? How bizarre is that? And yet, what are they saying? We don't want to leave. Wow, this is so great. We do not want to leave. Let's put up a shelter. Let's stay. As the men were leaving, Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't want them to go. You know, God wants us to witness his worth. God wants us to gaze on his glory. And that's why he wants us to move out the fast lane from time to time, to be still and to know that he is God. And you know what? When we move out the fast line on occasions, we do have our eyes opened to the wonder of God. Our hearts are filled with awe that gives rise to true adoration, just like was happening here. And when that happens, we surely don't want to leave the presence of God either. The great theologian St. Augustine said this, We shall rest and we shall see. We shall see and we shall love. We shall love and we shall praise. When we come out the fast lane and rest, then we see the glimpse of glory. And when we see, we love that we don't want to depart. And when we love, we press. There on the mountain, the three disciples saw Jesus in all his glory. Truly and properly, God. In a commentary I was reading recently, it said this about the transfiguration. Jesus was transfigured while he was praying the appearances of his face changed and it was not merely the external appearance that was changed the light which transfigured him completely was shining from inside the transfiguration was not the throwing away of the mask of humanity it was not ceasing to be human It was the human Jesus who was transfigured. The face that was radiant and shone was the human face of the human Jesus. It was the radiant face of a son who submitted himself to obey God's will. God becoming human has given the possibility for every human being to be transformed, to be filled with the divine light. Transfiguration is not magic but the destiny of all creation in Christ to be transformed and filled with divine light. In one of his books, John Ortberg tells the following story. A man is being tailgated by a woman who's in a hurry. He comes to an intersection when the lights turn yellow, hits the brakes. The woman behind him in the car goes ballistic. She honks her horn. She yells in frustration in no uncertain time. She rants, she gestures. And while she's in mid-rant, someone taps on her window. She looks up and sees a policeman. He invites her out of a car and takes her to the police station where she's searched and fingerprinted and put in a cell. After a couple of hours, she's released. And the policeman arresting her gives her a personal effect, saying, I'm really sorry for the mistake, ma'am. I pulled up behind your car while you were blowing your horn, using bad gestures and bad language. And I noticed the what would Jesus do bumper sticker, the choose license plate holder, the follow me to Sunday school window sign, the Christian fish emblem on your trunk. And I naturally assumed you'd stolen the car. Berg goes on to say this, the world gets pretty tired of people who have Christian bumper stickers on their cars, Christian fish signs on their trunks, Christian books on their shelves, Christian stations on their radios, Christian jewelry around their necks, Christian videos for their kids, and Christian magazines for their coffee tables, but don't actually have the life of Jesus in their bones or the love of Jesus in their hearts. There's a wow well moment, isn't it? When was the last time you got a glimpse of God's glory? When did the last When did you last see Jesus, in all His true worthiness, His glory? Is the glory of God reflected in your life? In my life? Well, for these three disciples, this was a flashbulb moment a special moment to observe Jesus in all his glory. This week we embark on Lent. Lent is a time to step aside from that which distracts us from knowing and experiencing God. It's a time to reflect on our humanity and God's glory. Our theme this year is going to be quite simple. It's going to be grace and purpose. And over the next few weeks of Lent, as we lead up to Easter, we're going to consider the grace of God and how that changes us. Because Jesus came that we might know joy, we might know abundance, and that we might become people of joyful purpose through his grace. What might it look like for us to come as we are, expectantly, devoted to the God who gives us light and life, with the entirety of our heart, soul, and might. What might it look like for us to come away once again and journey with Jesus through Lent, see and experience the grace and glory of God in his life, and be filled with that same divine light ourselves? What will that look like? Or may it be so. May we each get a glimpse of that glory. May we see Jesus in all his true worthiness. And may that glory of God be reflected in us. As we come to the end of our meeting this morning, I want us to give us a chance to think about how we're going to do that. You know, so many people think about Lent, about what they're going to give up. I'd like you to think about what you're going to embrace. What are you going to do to see the glimpse of glory before you in these coming weeks? Forget the chocolate, forget the crisps or whatever you might think is a good discipline. What are you actually going to do to get a glimpse of God's glory in the next nine weeks? What are you going to do that will allow you to see Jesus and his worthiness? what are you going to do to reflect on that, your humanity and how the glory of God is reflected in you? Think about those things. As you prepare yourself, as we prepare ourselves to journey with God, with grace and purpose through these weeks of Lent. Let's come to the glory of God this morning and in these quiet minutes, just before we sing a closing song, Let's just declare the glory of the risen Lord that's within this place. Let's just set ourselves to say, at the beginning of Lent this year, Lord, I want to glimpse your glory. Just like those three disciples, I want to see you for who you are. Show me what I need to do to embrace that. Show me what I need to do to reflect your glory in my life. come, gladly bow the knee, worship the Lord in all his glory this morning with me, all heaven declares... Lord, as we gather here in this place, and this time, a place that's familiar, a time we set aside every week, we thank you that we are here to meet with you afresh. May this gathering today be a time and space when we find a moment of meeting with you, when the daily veil that at times covers our world and our lives is removed, and we can see your glory. Glory revealed in the beauty of the universe you've created. Beauty revealed in the community we are part of. Beauty revealed to us in your precious word. Most of all, beauty revealed in the love of your Son, Jesus Christ, for us all. So help us again today and in these weeks of Lent to come away with you to a quiet place, to meet with you in new ways. Ways that help us glimpse how things really are when we truly come into your presence. When we truly allow your light and your glory to transform us and the whole world. Come in your glory and may our lives reflect it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.